listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Church, you may be seated. It's good to see you all. And yeah, today we kind of begin... Uh, Some change, if you were here this morning, we are excited that we have finally been able to open up the new building. It went through a couple of uh, months of being remodeled, so the Connections class has already moved over there. And as Adam said earlier, man, if you uh, haven't been here at 930 for Bible study, we would hope you'd come and check that out. We have it for all ages, from youth, and they'll be moving over the first Sunday in uh, January. They'll finally get to move out of the office. Uh, We'll be relocating our 4th and 5th grade, uh, moving our preschool upstairs, so a lot of change coming for that week in January. But the building is open on your way out today. I hope you'll step in and and check it out. We would say thank you so much to Tyson and Jackie Glasscock for already making it look great. We're not finished, but it has gotten a great start. They've made it look amazing. And the great news is it has doubled our bathroom space. Uh, So go and check that out before... Uh, you leave today. And so we are right in the middle of our Advent series. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, what we have done, we looked at the genealogy in Matthew. And we noticed that there are five women, people that we probably would not put in his genealogy. And we are looking at a different woman each week. So we've seen Tamar and we have seen Rahab. And I don't know if you accepted the challenge encouragement last week, Uh, about Rahab's declaration. And so we published a few of those. I wrote one, uh, Ross and Eric, they each did theirs. And man, as I got to thinking about mine over this last week, I realized this. Man, I grew up with this mindset of, always felt like I had to appease God. Meaning if I had something big coming up, man, I would make sure I was on my best behavior because I didn't want him to do anything that would like mess up my plans. And so that's how I felt. I felt like I always had to do my job to make sure God acted the way I wanted him to in my life. In fact, in my declaration, it said this, there is nothing that happens in our lives that does not first pass through God's perfect will. Man, as I begin kind of thinking about that truth, man, that is such a good one for me to think that there is nothing that happens in my life that God, first of all, doesn't approve. Now, is everything going to be like I want it? No. Is everything going to bring me joy? Probably not. But I have to believe that everything is happening, and God says, this is exactly what you need in your life. Whether you want it or not, this is what is best for you. So this morning... The story we're going to look at is a lot like that. The story we're going to look at is for anyone who's ever wondered, where is God when He seems to be silent? Man, I've prayed, I've asked Him to do this, and all I hear is crickets. This story this morning is for anyone that's wondered, where is God when one tragedy after another happens and my faith is constantly under attack? This morning, this story is going to be for anyone who's ever wondered, if this following Christ really, is it really worth it? I mean, I've tried some things, but guess what? Things really haven't worked out well. I mean, is it really worth it? This story is worth it for anyone that's ever wondered. 
is God really shaping me into something better? We've probably all had these thoughts this morning, so I want to direct you to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, we're going to start in the first chapter. There's only four chapters to this book. It's a very familiar story in the Old Testament. Only two women actually have books named after them, Esther and Ruth. And so this morning, let's begin in Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, to look at this interesting story about surprising grace. It begins this way, in the days... When the judges ruled, and listen, there's a lot packed in to that phrase. What that means is that there's this 400-year period in between when Israel entered the promised land that we saw last week under Joshua until we get our first king of Saul. And it's this period anytime that said, in the days when the judges ruled. In fact, Judges 21 and verse 25, it tells us this, that in these days there was no king, and every man did what is right in his own eyes. So there was no standard. You did what you wanted to do. But in this time, it was a very dark time for Israel. The people would sin, and God would send enemies against them. The people would follow after other gods, and God would then send prophets of messages to repent. And they would live in complete open rebellion to God's laws, and He would send a judge to offer deliverance. And so in this short little book of Ruth, it's going to give us this glimpse into what I would call the hidden work of God during the worst of times for Israel. This was their dark ages. <coughs> because even when we think God is far from us, and Israel had to think that, even when it felt like, God, you've turned your back on us, this is what we're going to see this morning. The true Redeemer. He is always working for your good. Now, I'll say, it may not always feel good, but the true Redeemer is always working for your good. Because look at how the verse continues. So, it's in the time of judges, doing as they wanted to do, living for themselves. It says there was a famine in the land. And here's our first uh, people we're going to look at. In man in Bethlehem, in Judah went to sojourn or travel to the country of Moab, him and his wife and their two sons. And this name, this man was named Elimelech. And he had a wife named Naomi. And they had two sons, Malon and Chilion. And they were Ephratites from Bethlehem of Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and they remained there. So here's our players. You have Elimelech, married to Naomi, and they have two sons. And it says, because of the famine, no food, they traveled to Moab. But Elimelech is doing so much more here than just moving, we would say maybe into even a new country. Nowhere do we read that God ever told him to do this. And this is why it would be so strange. Here's what Elimelech is really doing. Elimelech, he is abandoning the land that God had prepared for them. Remember last week with Rahab, we read that story. The land he had promised them, he had prepared for them. And Elimelech says, no, I'm leaving. So not only is he leaving the land, he's leaving God's people. And so what's happening? He's leaving the land, he's leaving the people, and what we'll even see is that he's leaving the faith. So he's leading his family, he's going, here's why. It's going to live among the Moabites. 
And the Moabites were the, one of the largest enemies of Israel. In fact, I don't know, I've been kind of doing a lot of reading in history. I mean, it'd be like us living in the 40s. Wars are going on, and we go live in Japan or Germany. At that time, that was the United States' biggest enemy, and that's what he's doing. He's going to live among the enemies of the Jews. But things get worse. Look at verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died, and she was left with her two sons. So the leader of the family takes them to a foreign land, a land of their enemies, and he dies. But she still has hope. You know what? She's this woman. She has two sons. All can still work out until you get to verse 4. These took Moabite wives. So don't you see the shift happening? Here are these Israelites, these Jews. They go live in Moab, but what we know from these men's names for some reason, Elimelech gives them Canaanite names. So they go and they marry Moabite women. So let me show you a little bit of the tension between a Moabite and an Israelite. If you like to take notes, look at Deuteronomy 23.3. This is what it says about Israel and the Moabites. It says that a Moabite was forbidden to go into the assembly of the Lord. They were forbidden to go into the assembly of God's people. And it even says, even to the tenth generation. So not only if you're a Moabite, but if your grandchild's 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 grandchild is still a Moabite, if there's any blood of a Moabite in there, they are not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. But things get worse. Look at verse 5. And then both Malon and Chilion, they died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So both sons die. So Naomi, here she is. She really only has now four options. One, she could find a job. But being a woman, probably at her age, that wouldn't be realistically. Maybe she doesn't know any trades. Okay, she could rely on her children. You know what, that's what you would do. Your children help you. But what happened to both her sons... They're both dead. Another option, she could get married, have other children, but she's well past childbearing years. So here's Naomi's only option. Her only option is to go back to Bethlehem. But remember, they abandoned the land. They abandoned God's people. It could not be easy going back. And people go, why'd you leave? Why did you leave us, especially to go to Moab? Why should we care about you now when you didn't care about us back then? But remember, she also has two daughter-in-laws to consider. So since Naomi has no sons, no husband, the daughters, here's their best option. Their best option would be, you're a Moabite, is to go back home, marry a Moabite man. They're still young, able to have children, you can almost start again. And that's exactly what Naomi encourages these two young daughter-in-laws to do. So look at verse 8. But Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, or to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's house, meaning go back home. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord may grant you to find rest. She's saying, I want you to have peace. I don't want you to have to worry. That each of you in the house of your own husband, she's giving their blessing, telling them, listen, go, find a new husband, begin anew. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So the first one, Orpah, she, she's sad, but she kind of weighs out the options, and she knows her best option it's simply to go home, to find a new husband, start again. But Ruth is a different story. In fact, the scripture says that Ruth clung to Naomi and that she refused over and over again to go back home. But the best option would be for Ruth also be to return to her people, move back home, marry a Moabite man, start a new family. She's still young. I mean, that would be the easiest and the best option that she has. And so why would someone, we know, if you know the story, you know she doesn't do that. But why would someone, this is what's so interesting, why would someone leave, not for a better life, but for a worse life? You know, we've probably all, at least on the news, you've seen people that are leaving their countries and they're trying to find refuge. They're leaving a life in hopes of something better. No one leaves thinking, oh, listen, this is going to be harder. Things are going to get worse. Her best option would be to stay. I mean, she's going to go into the land of her enemies. She would probably not be welcomed with open arms because she's a Moabite. She's going to dress like a Moabite, look like one, talk like one. Plus, she's coming with a woman that had abandoned her land and the people. And to add to the worst... She's going with a woman that has no home, no land, no husband, no life to return to. So here's the question. Why would Ruth leave a better life for a worse life? And it's because somewhere along the way, something happened to her. And we read about it in verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. So she's pledging her allegiance to Naomi. I believe Naomi over the years has spent time and they have built a relationship. So she doesn't want to leave. I'm with you, Naomi. And she says, where you lodge, I will lodge. Meaning she's putting her life in the hands of Naomi. They don't know where they're going. She says, may your people shall be my people. I mean, Ruth at this point is willing to risk it all. She is putting everything on the line in hopes that she will be accepted by her enemy. And then she says, and your God, my God. It's at this point she pledges her life to the God of Israel. At this point, like we saw with Rahab, she is leaving the false gods of Moab and she is turning to the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the reason she would make this move of going from a worse life is that she knows the true Redeemer. But we really don't know how all this happens. I wish we did. But here's my best guess at it. I think over those years you would lived in this small home they would have added on a room for each son. You would have lived right next door in the same house with her mother-in-law. So when they were cooking and 
preparing foods for their meals, washing clothes, doing the things that they would be doing, going to gather water, going to the market. I believe Naomi was telling her the things of her homeland. I believe she would have told them stories of Israel and about how they followed this God named Yahweh and all that He had done for them. Naomi probably told Ruth about Abraham and the strange thing that he was to sacrifice his son, but at the last moment, God provides a lamb. I believe Naomi told Ruth about Egypt and the slavery of her great-great-grandparents and how God had raised up Moses to deliver them from the Red Sea. I can imagine Naomi gathering Ruth and Orpah together to say, Oh, let me tell you about the wandering in the wilderness. Yes, we refuse to follow God, but listen how He provided manna for us. We're just one generation away from where Israel conquered Jericho. I believe she told her about that. You wouldn't believe what happened, Ruth. We walked around that city for seven days in silence. And all of a sudden, that seventh day, we walked seven times. You could have heard the trumpets blast, and you wouldn't believe your eyes. The walls began tumbling down. And Ruth would have been hearing these stories over and over again. I believe that she came to believe and to trust in the God of Israel. So chapter 1 ends with this amazing journey back to Bethlehem. But let me show you how purposefully God was directing all of their steps all along the way because they couldn't realize that the true Redeemer, He is always working for your good. So here's a map. So they lived in Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem. They then went to live in Moab on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. Think about their journey back. She gathered up those daughter-in-laws. They began. She sends them back home. Orpah leaves, but Ruth stays by her side. Most likely they went north. They probably traveled right where Israel did and crossed the Jordan River. Naomi would have been traveling with Ruth. Eventually, she could have seen that monument of the 12 stones that Israel built to commemorate the crossing of the Jordan. That Naomi would have been telling the story about how they brought that ark up, and you wouldn't believe it, Ruth, when the priests, when their feet touched the edge of the water, it parted. And Ruth is now getting to see evidence of that. They would have traveled along the king's highway. They would have come very close, if not even into Jerusalem. Naomi would have pointed out, you see that right there? That's Mount Moriah. That's what I was telling you about where Abraham. He takes Isaac up on the mountain, binds him to offer him as a sacrifice. We've probably heard that story, but now she's getting to see it. They would have traveled right by Jericho. What the stories she'd been hearing about and now getting to see those walls being rebuilt. Ruth would have been seeing the evidence of all these stories that she'd been hearing about all along the way. But it gets even better. From the story, we know that it was during the barley harvest. This would have been in the springtime, March, April, and May. This would have been exciting times for Israel because it was in these months that included the Passover, the Feast of the First Fruits, the, the Festival of the Unleavened Bread. 
These days of festivals and celebration were used to remind the older generation and to teach the younger generation about who God was and what He had done. And now Ruth, a Moabite, is getting to experience these all in their fullest. People would have been traveling all over to Jerusalem. She would have seen the mass pilgrimage happening. Ruth is getting to experience all of this in the fullest at just the right time. So what Ruth is really seeing is God is directing her steps all along the way to meet one man. Because the true Redeemer, He is always working for your good. But they're going to come to Jerusalem or Bethlehem and that's part of the journey. As they entered into this city, they had to be thinking, are we going to be accepted? Where are we going to live? How are we going to have food to eat? How are these two women, how are they going to survive? But once again, God is going to direct their every step because He's working for their good. So turn to Ruth 2. We get to Bethlehem. So Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose spirit I shall find favor. And he said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come into part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So what happens was the law required, if you owned a field, if you planted, you left the edges, that those that were in need, they could go and pick from the edges of the field. You you left that for them. So Ruth, this Moabite, a, a foreigner, an enemy, she takes a chance. She goes to a field on the edges and she starts picking grain to then come home and make food for her and her beloved mother-in-law. But in verse 3, it says that she happens. It so happens that she is gleaning in the field that's owned by Boaz. So Boaz just happens to be a relative of Elimelech. But in reality, what we see is God is directing each and every step along the way. Because listen, there is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as by chance. God is directing everything in our lives, and it's always for our own good. It will not always feel like it, but that's the truth. And so Boaz, he takes notice of this woman in his field. But here you have Boaz, this faithful Israelite. They couldn't be any different. He didn't abandon the land or his people, and he's much older than this young Ruth. But there's something about her that he just can't escape. And so Nicholas Sparks has nothing on this love story. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, a term of endearment. Do not go and glean in another field or even leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to my vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So he moves Ruth from the edges of the field to the main field. 
He provides her protection by telling the men not to bother her. He even invites her to drink this well where the men have drawn water from his own vessels. But it gets better in verse 10. She falls on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? So Ruth acknowledges that Boaz has no reason to accept her. But he does it, and he does so much more. So Boaz, he's going to kind of tell her why. In verse 11, Boaz answers her. says, this is why I've found favor with you. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and has been faithfully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and you've come to a people that you did not know before. So Boaz, he's been hearing about Ruth and how she left her family and her homeland, coming with Naomi and how she's been caring for her mother-in-law. And he hears how she has risked everything to come and live among God's people. And Boaz, man, he, it's just something he can't get away from. So then Boaz, he's going to say something that is very interesting that, that we need to listen to and, and note, and then we'll come back to it. In verse 12, it says this, The Lord repay you for what you've done. Meaning, may the Lord bless you for how you've, you've cared for Naomi, how you came on faith into the land of your enemy. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And here's what he says. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz, he sees a woman who has put everything on the line to the point she is at the place that she is only safe under the wings of the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place where maybe you felt like God calling you to do something. And you step out on faith, and it's in that moment that you know if something is going to happen, if this is going to work out, it'll only be because God acts. And that's where he sees Ruth. That she has come to the place, the only way this works out for her is that she knows that she is safe under the wings of the Lord. What he's saying is, Ruth, you've come to realize that the true Redeemer he is always working for your good. And you know what that's like. You know what that means. But now the story gets really interesting. Naomi sees this happening. You know how mother-in-laws, they kind of have that sense about them. She kind of sees some things going on. So Naomi puts a plan together. In Ruth 3, verses 1 through 5, she knows Boaz is a close relative. She tells Ruth, hey, go wash up. Spray some perfume on, put a fine cloak on. When everybody's done in the threshing floor that night, it'll be late. Everybody will gather to eat. They'll drink some wine. When Boaz goes to lay down and watch where he does, I want you to go, uncover his feet, and lay down and wait for him to tell you what to do. And so that's exactly what Ruth does. Look at verse or chapter 3. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. 
Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and she laid down. Now, this is a really important gesture of what she is doing. I know it's not common in, in our context, but to uncover and to lie down by his feet, this is what Ruth is saying. She is saying, I would like you to be the one who I pledge my faithfulness to. I want to be the one whom you pledge your faithfulness. I want to be the one whom you would make a marriage covenant with. So once again, what do we see her doing? Taking a chance, laying it all on the line. So she once again does this. And, but now we see what would this older, much respected, wealthy, successful Israelite man do? What is he going to do? In the verse 8 it says, At midnight the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And notice the next phrase. She says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. But you remember what Boaz had just said to Ruth in the field when he'd heard about her faithfulness and her love towards Naomi? He said the same thing to the woman. And now Ruth uses this same phrase with him. What she's doing, she's letting Boaz know that she wants to be the one he loves, provides for, and protects. She wants Boaz to be her redeemer. In the love story, it gets even better. Boaz probably can't believe what's happening. Why would this younger woman that everybody is watching her live in a life of integrity she came from the enemy, but we don't believe that anymore. He's seen her faithfulness. I believe she's very loving, but she's much younger. But he sees a woman that he knows in some ways is so out of his league. But she is saying to him, listen, Boaz, I only have eyes for you. So Boaz, what does he do? He springs into action. He knows, though, there's a problem. There's actually a person that is a closer kin than him. And this man has to be the one that basically gets the first chance of redeeming this woman. So Boaz, he sets up a meeting. Grabs some elders, go to the city gates. He invites this man to come and to hear about it. But he's so great in how he presents this. He doesn't start, he doesn't start with Ruth. He starts with land. He says, listen, this is what would happen. Naomi, they left their land. Someone probably bought it. But under the law, if you were a family member of that person that sold, you could come and redeem that land. You would pay them. You would pay the debt they might owe. But you could inherit now that land. So he offers it to this, this next of kin. And the guy says, yes, absolutely, I want this piece of land. But then he says, but there's something else. Naomi has a daughter-in-law. And so what you'll have to do, you also now have to marry her. And according to the law that we've seen with Tamar, that you know that if you marry a woman that has been married before and you have children, they're not seen as yours. They're actually seen as Malon's. So the man begins thinking. First of all, he was excited about this opportunity, but now he realizes that his own estate 
could be in danger. He says, listen, Boaz, I'm out. I I can't do that. I I don't want it to interfere with what my inheritance might be. And I believe this was the best news Boaz could have heard. So Boaz, what does he do? He steps in and he buys the land. He assumes Naomi's debt is his own and he marries Ruth. And after the marriage, Boaz and Ruth are blessed with a son named Obed. And what we see is this amazing story of how this poor, broke, Moabite woman who starts out as an enemy and a foreigner ends up being fully accepted by Israel and ultimately Boaz. But there are so many things that could have gone wrong. I mean, just watch how God was directing their steps. Naomi and Ruth, they could have been beaten and robbed on the way to Bethlehem. Happened all the time. You never would see two women traveling. Ruth could have been treated like an outsider or an enemy. Ruth could have come at a different time of year when there was no harvest. How is she then going to provide food for her and her mother-in-law? Ruth could have landed in a field that belonged to someone else that would have kicked her out and not allowed her to provide for themselves. You know what that other relative? He could have redeemed that land and married Ruth, and we have no idea how that would have ended up. Boaz. Boaz could have refused the offer to redeem Naomi's land. So what we see is that Ruth, she faced... So many trials, so many troubles. But she came to know that no matter how bad things might seem, the true Redeemer is always working for your good. And you know, I know you and I probably don't have many experiences that might line right up with Ruth, but we all have had things that we have had to walk through. We've all had trials and troubles and struggles that we have had to go through. But here's what I I know. When this happens, we have three options. So the next thing that happens in your life that doesn't go as planned, next tragedy that that comes and tries to attack, there's three options. One, you can endure them. You could try to run from them, or you can direct them. And here's what I've learned. This has been true of every time in my life when this has happened. If you only try to endure that trial, you know what happens? It becomes your master. And over time, you will become calloused and you will become bitter. If you try to endure it, that's where it's going to end up. But you can also try to run from it. I've tried to do that. And what you end up doing, you end up missing the purpose God wants to achieve in your life. Or we can learn to direct them or you could say enlist them. You take those trials and troubles and they become your servants instead of your masters and they work for us. Because how many times have you talked to someone that you know went through a difficult time and so many times people would say, as hard as that was, I wouldn't change it because I saw God move. And that's what it's like to direct or to enlist those trials and troubles because you realize that the true Redeemer is always working toward your good. And so the great news that we see through this story of Ruth is that we can see that God is always directing. He is always directing our steps to, first of all, know Him as the true Redeemer. 
Man, with Naomi and, and Elimelech going to Moab, that's how Ruth hears. But then eventually coming to the place where we know that no matter what happens, no matter the trials, the struggles, the trials that may happen, that we may go through, He is always working for our good. So let me close with one kind of final interesting observation. Remember Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. It said that no Moabite may enter into the assembly. And you remember it said to the tenth generation. That is, that is how serious the Lord was with this. This is how final it was meant to be. But turn to chapter 4 of Ruth. In chapter 4, verses 8 through 22, the book ends with a small genealogy. And it's a genealogy, and it's interesting because if you were to count, it's exactly 10 generations. And listen, there is nothing by chance, nothing happens that doesn't first flow through God's perfect will. I don't think it's by chance that she ends the book with ten generations. Because no matter what we might be going through, the surprising thing about grace is that God is always directing your steps, just like Ruth. The truth is, the true Redeemer is always working for your good. And I pray that you know that. Let me close in prayer. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.